0: All right, and as you are seated, grab your outline, pull that out. You can see we're on this series, God's Grand Story. We actually have just a couple of more messages in this series of going through the New Testament. As you can see from the timeline that is up here as well, we've come through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just kind of doing an overview of when Jesus came and when he ministered to the people, when he died and rose again, the beginning of the church as it's recorded in the book of Acts, and then last week we looked at Paul and some of his letters, Uh, actually main one being the book of Romans, Uh, and then this week, we go to the general letters and talking briefly about the book of Revelation. And so you can see there where uh, we're going to look at Hebrews, or if you're doing your devotional reading, you really get into these books. But Hebrews compares and contrasts kind of the Old Testament priestly practices uh, and now points to Jesus as being our high priest. Uh, the book of James, we're going to touch on a little bit here today. You can see First and Second Peter, that Peter wrote. Um, we actually talked about that book in the springtime about the persecuted Christians and what they were going through and how that relates to us today. Then we have the book of Jude and then the book of Revelation that was written by the apostle John, uh, who was a disciple of Jesus as well. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation and also wrote the book of John. And so kind of how these last ones are categorized is all of the letters or the epistles that Paul did not write. And as I said, today, and and next week as well, we're going to go over the book of of James, because I I think this is a key book to talk about, because some people would feel like it's in conflict, uh, it's conflicting with what Paul said and what we covered last week. If you were here last week, you know that Paul emphasized faith, and faith alone is what gives us salvation. Faith and faith alone is what allows us to be in relationship with God and know that heaven awaits for us. And yet, now James comes in here and seems to be saying, well, it's not just faith, but it's also your actions that you put into place. And, and some people can say that that sounds odd. I'm not sure that those two go together. But as we're going to see, James's major theme is not in competition with what Paul says. It's really completing what Paul says, and it's filling in the bigger picture. And so that's why I wanted to touch on that letter for a couple of weeks. And so you have your outline. We're going to look at that. First question I wrote down on there was, who wrote the book or the letter of James? Obviously, it was written by a man by the name of James, And yet, in Scripture, if you go through, you'll see that there's six or seven people by the name of James in the Bible. Um, But most likely, the author was, and this may be surprising for some of you, most likely the author was James, you can fill this in, the half-brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, some of you may be saying, I didn't even know Jesus had a brother, where did he come from well we can see in Scripture in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus was actually part of a larger family We know of at least six. He would have been a seventh one in the family because in Matthew chapter 13, we see four brothers who are listed by name, and then we see them also talk about sisters, plural, but they are not listed by name. So there's at least seven in the family of Jesus. Now I say half-brother because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and his earthly father was not Joseph um, and Mary, but Mary was the mother of the Virgin Mary, obviously. But, I, I mean, you think about that, the having a large family, most of the time when we view movies or TV shows on Jesus uh, or documentaries, it's not portrayed that way. I mean, at Easter time or Christmas time, you, you often see Jesus kind of more depicted as an only child, right? I mean, you don't see the minivan pulling up and all the kids get off, right? Uh, I mean, and that, that, that's not kind of our mindset, our understanding of, of Jesus being in a larger family. And, and I got to thinking about that. You know, what would it have been like have Jesus as an older brother how many how many of you have older brother older sister how how many have older siblings yeah a a lot of us do I mean what would have you know been what would have been like to be compared to your siblings why can't you be more like Jesus right I I mean something like that and you're like what does he do walk on water or something you know yeah Yeah. Well, 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 maybe, and this may be just my assumptions, but I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe that's why none of the siblings in Scripture, at least when he was ministering, were followers of Jesus. Oftentimes, we actually see the siblings in Scripture as kind of standing off to the side, a little bit with their arms crossed, and a little bit looking over at Jesus like... Man, you are you are weird. And they would maybe even do you know like like just kind of a little bit crazy Jesus. Some of the stuff that you're doing over there, uh, yeah. We're not wanting to be followers. However, after Jesus dies and then he's resurrected, we see James, who is one of his brothers, who does become a follower of Jesus. And in Acts chapter fourteen, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter one, verse fourteen, he's actually joining with the other disciples to pray continuously for the early church that is about to begin. Why the switch? Especially at a time when the movement that Jesus started and the Jesus followers are now being hunted down and they're being killed for their faith. Why all of a sudden does James now jump into having a faith in his brother Jesus? Well Paul gives us a little hint on this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul Gives us an interesting little glimpse into what took place when Jesus died, rose again, and then it says that he appeared to Cephas, which was Peter, one of the disciples. And then it goes on to say, then he appeared to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time. Most of Paul said who are still alive when he was writing his letter, but some have fallen asleep. And then it says, Then he appeared to, what's the name there? Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And so buried in that letter there in 1 Corinthians, Paul kind of pieces together an order of appearance that Jesus appeared to after resurrection. He talks about appearing to the disciples when they were without Thomas. But then he appears to them when they were with Thomas. Remember, doubting Thomas. We have that recorded in John chapter 21. Then he disappears through the wall and he leaves them. Do you ever wonder where he went? Paul now fills this in and he tells us where he went specifically. And you'd have to imagine, you know, when Jesus showed up to James, he would have, you know, just a little bit of brotherly, you know, ribbing, right? Getting back at him just a little bit like, like who's crazy now, huh? (laughs) I'm here. I'm alive. And we see that James takes that step of having faith in Jesus as not only being his earthly brother, but as being his Lord and his Savior. You know, however that happened, James, because that follower of Jesus, and by the way, Jude is another half-brother of Jesus, and he also writes a book that you have in your Bibles. That's the book of Jude. That's in there as well. So we see two brothers come to follow Jesus, not during the time of his ministry, but afterwards becoming a follower. And James becomes a great leader in the infant stages of the Jerusalem church, which then takes me to the question of why was the book of James written? And let me summarize this as quickly as I can. It's in your outline as well. Why was it written? Because James wanted to see faith lived out through action. Faith lived out through action. In other words, faith was less a noun and more a verb. It was not something that just is something that you are. It's something that you that you do. Faith is something that we live out, not just something that we have. And if you were here last week, you would have heard me talk about Luther, who really dove into Paul's letter in the book of Romans and talking about faith, comes about, and it brings about salvation, and now you kind of have this scratch in the head of saying, okay, well, you know what, how come in James it's so closely now tied in with works and deeds? This can get a little confusing with what, what, what Paul said last week, and we talked about what Martin Luther said. Well, James is very an activist. He says, go do it. Don't just have it, but now go live it. Now go live it out. Go put it into practice. In fact, this is really kind of fun to look at. There are more parallels in the teachings of Jesus and in the book of James than any of the other New Testament writings. In fact, if you wanted to go home, I give you a challenge sometime this week to read through the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus spoke before thousands of people. And he shared all these things that he wanted the people to do. Go read those chapters and then read the book of James. And tell me if they do not look very, very similar. Because James went and he basically restated the Sermon on the Mount and put it into practice with things that people can do and things that they should say and how they should believe and what they should put into practice. In fact, probably the key verse out of James is James chapter 1, verse 22. It's on your outline. It's also up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to ask you to read it with me, okay? Let's read it together. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Yes. Yes, he would say. Don't just listen to it, but do it. Put it into practice. In fact, let me give you this in in kind of some practical terms. Let's say that some of you after the service here today approached me and said, you know, Pastor Brad, um, we're a little concerned about your health. You're you're looking a little scrawny these days, not, you know, your full potential of what you could be. And um, we decided that we want to put some more muscle and some more meat on your bones. And uh, so we decided to buy you a book, um, a book written by Arnold Schwarzenegger on bodybuilding for men. Now, I have no idea why any of you would think that about me, but okay, I'll, I'll take that on. And if you came up and you said that to me, let's just say, I say, oh, great idea, I'm in, and yet six months later you come to me and you see that I have virtually done nothing, I don't look any different. In fact, I look more flabby than I look right now. You say, what happened? Didn't you read the book? And what if I then said, oh, did I read the book? Oh, absolutely, I read that book. In fact, it is one of the greatest books that has ever, ever been written. I love it that much. In fact, I have these highlighters, and I have them in five different colors. And every time I read through it, I pull out a different highlighter, and I'm highlighting them back and forth. And I am memorizing some of the sentences that Arnold wrote in there and put in there. I got to memorize. I looked up some of the etymologies of where the words came from and why he used that word and what that means. I even got a group, a community group started for people who are reading that book together. We're all coming together and reading it. I even did one on Wednesday night where more of the church can come and they can study it as well. We actually are going to take a trip to Austria and we are going to follow in the footsteps of Arnold and we are going to walk in his ways. We are disciples of Arnold. It has been great. And you'd say, well, why haven't you done anything with it? And I would explain to you, it's because, you know, Arnold wrote at a different time and a different history, and so it doesn't really all apply to me, and so I just don't want to do everything in there, but it is a great, great book. Thank you. What would you then say about me? That I'm, I, I'm crazy, right? I haven't changed. One, not one bit. Absolutely. Why, why? You'd probably say, why are you even spending your time on that? Why are you even reading that? Why are you putting so much energy and effort into it when you're not doing anything with it? Ah, yes. James's point exactly. Are you just reading it? Are you just hearing it? Is it just some stuff that, you know, Sunday mornings makes you feel good, to feel like you're with a bunch of other people? Do you love to just, you know, go to the gym and just sit and hope that you'll be, you know, gaining what everybody else is without actually moving and doing something? In fact, think of it like this. Think of a Christian that you know in your circles, okay, in your your friendships. Think of a Christian that you know who maybe knows the Bible ten times more than you do. So much smarter. You think, you know, they studied a lot more than I do and such. Think of them. Can you say they're ten times more loving than you are? Can you say they're ten times more kinder than perhaps you are? James is saying there should be. There should be a correlation between reading and doing. Between reading and what you now become. In fact, another key verse is James chapter 2, verse 26. In fact, would you read these words with me? Read them. Faith apart from works is dead. Faith apart from works is dead. Now, again, that can be a little confusing, especially when you throw in verse 24 out of chapter 2. That can be really confusing. And so you've got to ask this question, okay, what, what is... James really saying here when we talk about faith and works and, and, and the role of those. Let me see if I can explain a little bit like this. When you have a faith, that faith must grow. When you have a faith, that faith must be exercised. And so there, let, let's say there's a seed that's put into the ground, and that seed then produces some sort of a plant or some sort of a tree. Because that seed has roots that grow into the ground. Those roots will now grow fruit. And the fruit, the deeds, as a result of the faith that is in the ground, the seed, the roots underground, the fruits, the deeds, are a result of the roots that are working underground. That is the faith that you have. In other words, if you have roots, you will have fruits. If you have faith, you will have deeds. That's what James is saying. In fact, please understand this. Anytime you see James write about works or deeds, he's not talking about what you do to earn salvation. He's talking about the things that come about because you have salvation. Okay, that's a key point in there. Don't take that as, well, you know what, I'm saved because of what I do. Absolutely not. You are saved first. You have salvation first. You have salvation because you believe. But because you believe, you most definitely should have fruit. If you have roots, you have fruit. And you gotta scratch your head with the people, you know, and I get this question all the time. It seemed like I had a brother or a coworker or someone who I've known them all my life, and way back when I thought they were a Christian. Now I'm not seeing any fruit in their lives. They haven't been to church in 30 years. Are they truly a Christian? First of all, I don't know. Only God does. And only God will be the one to judge them at the end of time. But the way you have to look at that, you have to say, okay, did they have a true faith with roots? Because if they did, that's where the fruits will grow. And that's where James is coming from. He's saying if you got a true faith, it's going to come out. In fact, anytime you see James write um, about words and deeds, you could substitute the words loving actions into that. In fact, let me just do this with verse 26. Faith apart from works. Whoop, back up there. There we go. Faith apart from works is dead. You could substitute the words faith apart from loving actions is dead. You can do that any time. And so James begins to write with some real practical examples of some true faith and what true faith is. And let me go over just a couple of these. True faith is not something that I just read. True faith is not just something that I read. It says in James 123, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who lacks intently, looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he looks like. All right, let me pick up on this, and let me pick on the men in here for just a second. Men, do you remember what it was like when you were maybe uh, pre-teenage years, maybe, maybe even you were a little lower, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, something like that, you were going through that awkward stage before you cared about what other people thought about you or how you looked in front of other people? Right? I mean, you didn't care about girls yet. You didn't care what they thought about you. And then after you did, you wondered, why don't they pay more attention to me? Right? It, it, it's because you never combed your hair. You never matched any of your clothes that you had. You woke up, you had pimples and whiteheads all over the place. You weren't popping those things. And you had snot coming out your nose. You know, you just didn't, you just didn't care until someone finally come along and said, hey, Brad, meet Mr. Mirror. Right? And you took a little time in the morning time, and you looked at the mirror. Uh, In fact, meet Mr. Full-length mirror would be even better, right? Got your pants just right, maybe got your shoes. You started taking a little bit more care in what you saw. And so you would look into the mirror, and you'd say, oh, I need to change that. Oh, I need to do that a little differently. Oh, that needs to look a little different here. Oh, my shirt doesn't match. Oh, I need to do things differently. That's what James is kind of getting on here. He's saying, man, if you don't do that, where's life going for you? You look in the mirror, you need to do something with it. In fact, in verse 25, here's what it says It goes on to say, but the one who looks into the perfect law, that is the mirror of their life, telling them how to live, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, then you're going to be blessed. Then you are blessed. By what you're doing. Then, then God's blessings come. So don't just read. Act upon what you read. Don't just look in the mirror and forget what it looks like. Do something with what you see. You know, many in this congregation have prayed for the possibility for us to own the Scottish Rite building, which is just to our west. Um, We prayed for at least, you know, 20-something years, maybe even many longer than that. Um, And now that time has come. In fact, this last week, Pastor Scott and I were signing more papers, and we believe on Thursday or Friday is when it officially will become the property of First Baptist Church. The, The only thing that they were still holding things up on is they had to do research on to see if I was a terrorist or not. True, true story, true. They already checked out Pastor Scott. I guess he got by, but they're still checking me out. So, if we don't have it by next week, you might have to question, right? Um, but we've been praying for that possibility. We, we, we've been longing to be able to do more ministry over there. And could you imagine now, at this point in time, when it finally comes possibility, if our congregation would have just done nothing with it? I was visiting Alta Unger, a 94-year-old member of our church. She was here when the church moved from Hunter and Lindsay to come to this property. And we were talking in the rest of home this last week. And, and she said, I remember when this property here was $30,000. That's how much the bank wanted us to pay. $30,000. She said, we were up in upheaval. We couldn't vote to see if we would do it or not. And we said, yes, let's do it. Let's trust the Lord. She said, $3.5 million, that's nothing. God said, it's really not. But could you imagine if we just said, whoa, 3.5. I'm not sure we have that much faith, God. I'm not sure about that. And if God said, here, here, now's the time. And we said, no, we're just going to kind of keep praying. We'll trust. We'll have great faith. God says, no, now it is. Here you go. We say, our faith is strong. We really feel good about our faith. He would say, no, now is the time to act. And we did as a church over the summer months. We came together and we said, yes, we're going to do that. And now as a church, we have the opportunity to continue to see that come about. We have the opportunity now to pay for that. That's where our real faith comes into action, where we monthly say, yes, I will join in. I will give over and above to make this happen and make this all a reality. In fact, can I just say... The first event that we've done over there on the Scottish Rite campus, now it'd be called our community center, was a great success. In fact, here's some pictures of it uh, of our outreach, our costume carnival we had this last week. There's one of our angel cars um, with uh, Amber, our angel. There's some minions that we had over there, just kind of some different themes. Joe had that. Fantastic community outreach. We had a much bigger crowd than we even anticipated. Yeah, there was a. Oh, you have to always bring in the Star Wars, uh, something with that, Um, and. then the people who came, um, just, you know, the the thing that we were probably thrilled about was also the spiritual emphasis that we put on it, of of Bible verses that were handed out, plans of salvation, uh, invitations to come back and and make First Baptist a home, Um, and, you know, Pastor Nikki and her children's uh, staff just did a phenomenal job. So many of you helped, involved with that, helping with with the uh, security and driving and things like that, and just making it a safe event. Um, Again, putting faith into action getting involved, and doing something, and in fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have more opportunities to do that, let me just share this with you, Um, not this Wednesday, but the following one, on November 15th, is a time that we're saying, let's come together as a church, and let's pray over that property. That everything that takes place in that property would be glorifying of the Lord. That everything we do would have the impact of Jesus and elevating Jesus high. Um, And so if you as a church would come be a part of that, we would be so blessed. And then the next Sunday on the 19th, two weeks from today, we're also having a work day over there to prepare that for all that the Lord wants to do in our midst. Again, it's not just saying, oh, great, super, we have faith. It'll come about one day. No, it's now stepping out and saying, great, we help with it. We help pay for that. We help make sure that ministry takes place. And James would be right there. He'd say, it's not just something you read. You don't just come here and read about it. And the second thing he says is on your outline, it's true faith is not just something that I say. It's not just something that I I talk about. James says in verse 14 of chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have any works? Can that faith save him? We've all heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words, right? James would say, amen, amen to the tenth power on that one. Amen, amen, and amen. Don't tell me, show me, is where James would be coming at, to complete kind of how salvation is displayed in our lives. In fact, best illustration of that, I know many of you have probably heard this before, but some of you haven't. number um, of years ago, about 150 years ago, there was a tightrope walker by the name of Charles Blondin. And uh, one day Charles Blondin decided that he was going to create an incredible spectacle over the Niagara Falls. And so they connected a wire from one side of Niagara Falls to the other, and he was going to walk across it on a tightrope wire without any net underneath. The media got a hold of this, again, 150 years ago, so much, much different than it is today. Media got a hold of it, put word out, and conservative estimates where there were over 100,000 people who gathered to watch this incredible feat of daringness that Charles Blondin was going to go from one side of Niagara Falls to the other. I mean, you can imagine the drama that was unfolding there as he began to walk out on that and as he carried the pole and began to walk and take the steps. And Charles Blondin knew that he had no problem doing this whatsoever. In fact, he kind of even played a little bit with the crowd. He was a showman of sorts and he would go fast and he would go slow. He'd go over to one side and he would come back on the other and the people were shouting they were shouting for more. He had, at one time set up a chair to actually have with him as well. He would walk out there, he'd put the chair on the rope, and he would sit in the chair. Another time he brought out a stove, and on that stove, he cooked an omelet, an egg, and lowered it down to the boat underneath, the maid of the mist that travels underneath, that someone on board of that could eat that. Here's actually a a picture of that uh, daring tightrope walk that he did with some new technology of the day, a photograph that was taken of Charles Blondin as he went back and forth across Niagara Falls. Well, another time, he had a wheelbarrow that he crossed Niagara Falls with, and as he did that, again, the crowd was just going crazy, um, not knowing if he was going to make it or not to the other side, but he had done it so many times. And so Charles Blunden, again, being a showman of sorts, would ask the crowd, do you think I can do this? They would say, yes, do you think I can? And he said, well, how many of you believe that I can do it again, after he went back and forth across one time. And all the crowd, again, shouted, we believe, we believe, and then he pointed to the wheelbarrow and he said, now who will get into the wheelbarrow? And the crowd got real quiet. And all 100,000 people were silent. And then one hand went up. It was a man by the name of Harry Calcord who had known Charles Blondin. And he knew what he had done. He had seen him do it many times. He said, I'll do that. I'll get inside the wheelbarrow. I'll allow you to take me to the other side. So he gets into the wheelbarrow, and they start across the line. Now, now here's a picture of that as well. Now, again, this is not just like some, you know, Home Depot kind of wheelbarrow. I mean, I would not want you wheeling me down this aisle in a wheelbarrow. I wouldn't probably trust you for that. The sides are small and such. But here, this man, Harry colcord got into the wheelbarrow and allowed Charles Blunden to take him from one side to the next, And, of course, the crowd goes crazy again. The newspapers put it on the front page. People are stunned. But no one else got into the wheelbarrow. Just one. Everyone else applauded Charles Blondin. But only one trusted him. Everyone else said they believed. But only one had the action to prove that he believed. And really, that, that's what James would be getting at here. James would be saying, hey, if you've got that faith, you put that into practice. It's not just something you read. It's not just something you say. In fact, last fill-in on your outline would be this. True faith is something that I live It's something that I live, and I'm going to bring these points back again next week. We're going to go a little bit further than this. I knew I wouldn't have enough time to do it today, but basically James is saying in verse 8 of chapter 2, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. If you really put it into practice, that's when you'll know that you're doing well, that you're doing it. And so here's the question as we go back to the picture there of the wheelbarrow, are you in? Are you on the side cheering? Are you saying, yay, this worship service is terrific. Hey, we love the music. Super. Hey, we like hearing messages that are positive and uplifting. Yes. But are you actually on the sidelines just cheering people on? Are you actually in with a step of faith? And are you in with a step of faith that results? The roots go deep, and so the fruits come. Have you shown that in your life? Would someone have thought of you when I said, know someone who knows the Bible ten times more than you? Are they ten times more loving than you? Are they ten times more kind than you? Does your life reflect that? Does your faith put you in the wheelbarrow, or does it put you on the side, just kind of cheering everybody else on? James would say, no. Oh, if you have a true faith, that true faith is going to be displayed. That true, true faith is going to be shown. That true faith is going to be lived out. So, First Baptist, where's your faith? We've been reading through God's grand story. We've been reading Scripture. This is why I want you so desperately, not just to come on Sunday mornings and hear what a fallible person says. Because I don't have it all right, folks. Folks. I I believe I have the scriptures right. I don't live it all right. I try my best, but I want to encourage you, but I'm only one person who can speak on Sunday mornings into your life. God and his Holy Spirit, if you let him, can speak into your life every day when you pick up this word. That's when our church is going to become alive, when you don't just follow my words, but you follow the words of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you, and as you allow him to come into your life and say, Hey, John. Hey, Susan. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Ken. Here's here's what I want you to do in this situation. And God does that when we open this up. But it's not just something we read. It's not just something then we say. It's something we live 24-7. Wheelbarrow faith. Wheelbarrow faith. It says I'm in. I pray that's who you are. That's what James would want you to be. In fact, let's take care of that right now. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, you know, really, we're the ending of the message today. We're the ending that now goes out. And lives us out. We're the ending that puts us into practice. We're the ending that displays our salvation, our faith, in actions. Not just words. Not just read, but lived. So folks, let me encourage you in that way. That as you go home today, do you think in a way that... How can I glorify? How can I praise God? How can I even bless the person next to me? Maybe they'd be in your car. Maybe they'd be someone along the road. Maybe they'd be another driver. Maybe they'd be your neighbor that you drive into the driveway with. Lord, I want my faith to come alive. I want to just leave it at church. I want it to come alive and have other people know it. Or are you the kind of person that just says, ah, it's about me anyway. I'll just do what I do maybe come once a month, maybe throw in a 20 every now and then, just to get by. No. James would say, come on, there's so much more for you. There's so much more that God wants to do in and through you. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one to speak as we leave this place here today. God, that it wouldn't Just be a good message and good music, and then let's go on with the rest of our day. But Lord, it would be, how can I make a difference? How can my faith be put into action? Lord, may your Holy Spirit be the one to speak to us throughout this week, to remind us how important this is. And I thank you for James, for his stepping up to complete that picture and to see how practical we can be in saying yes to you. Lord Jesus, would you go before us now? Would you be the one to lead us, even as we worship you here now, even as we go back out into the world and see what you'd have us do, Lord Jesus, may your spirit be the one to bring us to full completion of displaying that salvation. The roots go deep, the fruits go broad and wide. May they glorify you, for it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.